You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is season 10, episode four. Strawn is a writer, award-winning folk musician, and spiritual director from Aotearoa, New Zealand. He founded Commoners Communion in 2017 to explore what it means to become a deeply prayerful people in our times. Since then, he has written three prayer books offering poetic prayers, contemplations, and reflections to help readers deepen their communion with God. Today, Strawn runs spiritual retreats, online prayer schools, and is currently working on his first non-fiction book titled Beholding, Deepening Our Experience in God which invites the reader to give up consumer Christianity for a more beautiful life of seeing and being seen by God. In this episode, I talk with Strawn about contemplative practice, abiding in the space between, and finding opportunities for beauty throughout prolonged seasons of suffering. Patrons of the podcast can enjoy an additional conversation with Strawn on the relationship between the contemplative and the charismatic. This is The Art of Receiving, with writer and musician, Strong. Strong, thank you for joining me on the Makers and Mystics podcast today, my friend. It's an honor to have you on the show. Yeah, kia ora, man. It's great to be here. Kia ora. Is that what you said? Yeah, kia ora, man. It's, uh, it's a New Zealand welcome. It sort of essentially means receive life. I love it. How is life in New Zealand right now? I can I can almost feel the New Zealand air and it's just making me want to come visit. Yeah, you should come visit, man. It's it's beautiful. It's been a wet winter, I'm not going to lie. Like this has probably been the wettest winter we've had and I live on the beach down in a very small kind of rural beach town and we've just been plastered with storms and little floods and all kinds of stuff. So it's actually been a pretty cozy cozy winter, but I'm sitting in my cabin right now watching the rain and wind outside, feeling pretty happy to be inside. Well, I'm looking forward to talking with you today about your music and your writing and the contemplative lifestyle that inspires your work. And you know, your music has been described to me as being a meeting place of heaven and earth or a form of devotional prayer music. I'd love to know how you would describe your music in your own words. Yeah, I think I think I would describe it as prayer music. I think I've always found my writing style when I've thought about it has always essentially just been psalmic. It's been me sort of open processing my uh, sort of spiritual or existential questions of how do I how do I meet with God? How do I live in this world? How do I process this? sometimes you know gaping gap i feel between the life that should be and the life that is in terms of god's goodness and his presence so i feel when i listen back to my music now i just hear this often first person language of this communication with god this seeking him and this finding him that that tension i think and i think it's probably that tension of I have you, but I long for you. I have goodness, beauty, and truth, but I long for goodness, beauty, and truth. That tension, I think, is probably what people find in my music um, as a common thread, maybe from my earliest days to recently. 
Well, you know, this season on the Makers and Mystics podcast, we're exploring the theme of restoring the heart of the artist. And one of the threads that we're chasing in that theme is what I call in the splice. Mm. And to be in the splice or to be in the space between is where so many of us as artists find ourselves abiding is, is in the place between heaven and earth or in the place in between the promise and the fulfillment, in between, you know, mm. fill in the blank, you know, often we abide in that space between. And also so much of the healing process takes place in that third space, or it yeah. takes place as we bridge the gap between the polarities, not so much seeking resolve as just giving space mm. for those things. And I wonder if you could speak into that from the perspective of your own creative process and, and some of your own spiritual process, bridging the gap. Yeah, I love that. And I think this tension is something that I've felt for a long time as both an artist and someone who is seeking to encounter the divine and understand sort of heaven and God, because these two worlds have become strangely polar to each other in many ways. Like a lot of Western theological dialogue is is about finding answers and coming up with sort of theological formulas that makes, I mean, you think about Calvinism and it's, it's like the nth degree of trying to make a system out of belief. And art, on the other hand, is an invitation into existence. It is a way of saying, come and feel with me, come and ask questions, come and be curious with me and sit beside me or sit in my seat and see the world as I see it. And let's ask interesting questions and let's explore our feelings about where that takes us. And I think that what it feels to me that we're kind of wrestling with at the moment is being able to bring both together is how do we, how do we remove so many of the either roars that we've created for ourselves? Um, and so for me, I feel like artists are, I can help people engage with asking the right questions you know how do we ask the right questions about life and about god and i think artists do it because we naturally just say i don't have the answer uh per se but here's an expression of this tension here's an expression of this longing and in the longing we can find a home even if that longing is never sort of satiated with some kind of amazing idea or something and so in a world where you've got these two polarities arguing with each other, looking for a perfect answer, I feel like artists say, come and let's just sit together for a while. Let's just sit and let's experience, let's be in our bodies, let's be in our emotions, let's, let's be in this atmosphere. And maybe the questions that we're asking change and we may not find the answers that we're looking for right now from either edge of the sort of polarity, but we may find common ground, we may find our humanity. And so I think art is, if art is an invitation to become more human, then in becoming more human, we have this deeper connection and openness to God, to the divine. So yeah, for me, it's funny because I feel like the pandemic shut down so much art, didn't it? You know, mm -hmm. like, I mean, I've spent 10 years touring America. I couldn't, couldn't rec you know, I've recorded my albums there. So I was shut off. And yet I've had this deep sense of, man, there's never been a more crucial time to be an artist, to talk like an artist, to see the world like an artist and to invite people mm -hmm. into into those spaces. So I think in terms of bridging that world, that non-duality, man, I think it couldn't be a more exciting and important time to be in the art world.
you mentioned the pandemic and of course the past two years and I know that one of the last recordings that you put out happened right before COVID and now we've been in this two-year-long season of the dark night of the soul is what I tell some people, <laughs> you know, and I'm curious what that was like for you and 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 what happened in your life over the past couple of years uh, as it relates to your spiritual path and your creative path. Yeah, it's been challenging. I mean, my life since about 2012 and really peaking in 2015 I've kind of been in this long-winded body breakdown. I've been really unwell. And so I released my second record, Out of Exile, um, right in the in a patch of being so sick. I would literally lie in bed for like seven or eight weeks and then I'd get up and do mm. like three or four shows to earn a couple of hundred bucks. I'd come home, spend another three months in bed. And so from 2015 right through to when I recorded Vulnerability, which was my last album, um, I spent a huge amount of time unwell, in bed, incapacitated, and really in my own sort of dark night of the soul. And so recording that album for me was like, a, am going to just do this. I didn't know if I'd be able to sing. But from that point, from vulnerability on, I started to kind of crawl out of that space. And, and that year that in 2020, when COVID hit, I was sort of booked up almost every weekend for a year. Life was flourishing after about seven <laughs> years of intense kind of pain and struggle and darkness I was sitting on a year going finally all my hard work's paid off I'm entering my early 30s you know all that hard work that pain that thousands of dollars into art and not seeing anything back it's about to pay off and then you know I was about to do this tour with John Mark McMillan as well which I was really excited about he's always been a hero and a month before COVID hits New Zealand closes its border and every event just cancelled in a, in a night just like that gone mm -hmm. And that was really painful for me. I think that was yeah. that was something of a of a crisis of sorts because it wasn't just that oh a year's works down the down the drain. It was that I was finally emerging as as it felt from quite a significant time of darkness and hardship. Yes, and again taken away, but for a, a different reason. So mm -hmm. that was challenging. And actually, the last couple of years I've been even more sick than I was back then, and so. I think these years for me have been like like I'm a seed and God has just pushed me very, very deep under the soil. And he said, go and, go and be germinated for a little while, right down in the deep darkness. Mm -hmm. And yet out of that space for me has come an incredible amount of change and flourishing and, and difference, uh, a very different life to what I'd planned for myself. So it has been beautiful, but it, it's also been very challenging. You know, man, it's strangely comforting to hear you talk about the difficulty and the heartbreak that you went through during this time because I relate to it. And mm -hmm. I think this is something that we need to talk about yeah. is because I think especially for artists, it really did strip away so many layers and good things and, and you know, all things I believe are redemptive. And I think that there are a lot of things good that have happened in our lives since then. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of people really did suffer through that time. And so to say it to you, I'm really sorry that you had to face that as well. I, I can empathize with that directly, but yeah. how did you process that season in your life? How did you find healing through that? And, and what helped you uh, walk through that time? Well, I'm lucky because I'd been through this 
before. You know, in 2015, I lost the ability to sing and I thought my life was over. I spent a couple of years um, really just in total obscurity. And so I was depressed. I was really sad for like a week. I was just moping. I was whining my poor <laughs> wife. I was just like, can't believe this is happening again. Where is God? And I was like, God, you know, I mean, my, I, I probably one of the good, if there, if there is a sort of redemptive element of me and in, in my suffering has been that I tend to always take it straight to God. I don't always say the things that I probably should say. Sometimes I look back and go, I could have, I could have, you know, could have worded that a bit more delicately. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of anger and frustration, but after about a week, I turned around and thought to myself, man, nothing is, nothing is a surprise to the divine you know there is there's no there's this feeling in me that rises up that was like this could be the best the greatest opportunity of my life this could actually be this thing that died maybe it needed to die maybe it's not a bad thing it mm-hmm. died at least um as good as i thought about it thought it was so i sort of turned around and said well everyone's hanging out and bored why don't i kind of do some online prayer schools and kind of teach people about what it means to exist and some of the lessons that I learned from my own suffering in 2015 and and the long drawn out chronic sickness. And that went amazing. Gosh, it was crazy. It was just for two years, I taught these classes, something like sometimes 130 people a week, just in all these different classes. And that was beautiful. But Mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing for me is that I've come to feel at least about my life that my real life is the thing that happens in the gaps between what I'm trying to do. When I look back and I see the things that I've really lived and really done, they are often the mistakes that have kind of popped up while I'm trying to do something that I think is the right thing. And, you know, I love the uh, the church fathers and the monastics. They talk about prayer being this act of receiving, that it's predominantly about us accepting capital R reality, you know, capital L love, capital um, A affection. And I, I think what I've learned through a lot of my trials is that this art of receiving can simply just be, this is happening. I'm sick. This pandemic is happening and it's painful. I'm going to sit with that in my body for a bit. I'm going to feel that anguish. I'm not going to deny it. I'm not going to just go, oh, well, everything will be okay and move on. Um, But I'm also going to receive the opportunity that it provides, which is to think differently about the world. And this is where creativity comes into it, is that we often think creativity comes from within ourselves, but a lot of creativity is problem solving, right? A lot of creativity is comes out of boredom. It comes out of re-looking at issues differently. And so, the way I see my suffering now and my trials or when things and certainly these last couple of years is to say, what what beautiful opportunities for beauty, goodness and truth are inviting me into themselves through what I feel is being taken away. Um, and that includes in my own person. So not just, I mean, through this process, I ended up getting a book signed and published and, you know, I've done these prayer schools and released some prayer books and that's been amazing. But more than that has been the opportunity for me to accept life as it is, for me to allow pressure to create kindness and love rather than angst and disappointment. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it's that for me, the biggest thing is looking at something saying it feels like something's taken away, um, but actually what is being given and how do I explore the sort of size and shape of that?
Tell me more about the book that came out through this time. Yeah, so I, I've been writing these prayer books for a few years and they came about because when I couldn't sing, I felt really pent up, really frustrated because singing has always been a release valve for me. I, I definitely feel like music isn't something I do. It really is who I am. I feel like if I can't sing, it's like my soul is just kept in a jar. And so I started to write these little prayers, these little sort of poetic kind of thoughts and I posted them along and, and they sort of picked up with other people and I just have kept doing it sort of by accident really for four years. I released these prayer books and so during the pandemic I thought I'm just going to write a couple of essays around the sort of life and theology of of how I approach doing this work and how I live my life because people were asking me and I wrote a couple of essays and I sent them to my friend John Mark Comer and just said man would you consider maybe just writing a little dot 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 for me at the start and he said yeah would love to actually how about I kind of pass you on to my publisher I really love this book I think people need to read it and I think you should consider getting it published and he passed me on to someone who passed me on to someone and then <laughs> I just fucking complete accident <laughs> so a couple of months later I'm sitting there with this book contract which is amazing um, and it's a book called Beholding it's about it's really about how to live a life receiving God's loving gaze giving back that loving gaze and then sharing that with the world. So it's really about a way of, of living that is about living in the loving eyes of God and how that can transform every moment, um, how that transforms the way we see and experience goodness, beauty and truth in, the, in our lives. So, yeah, it's been fun, fun challenge. I never thought I would write a book <laughs> like that. So it's been kind of exciting. That's beautiful. Yeah. I love what you called the art of receiving a few minutes ago. And, you know, I know that so much of the heart of your music and the heart of your contemplative practice seems to be this space of meditation, of receiving, and just this posture of what a lot of people would consider the practices of the mystics. I wonder if you could speak into that a little bit more about this art of receiving and what contemplative practice looks like in your life present day? So receiving to me, I mean, the astounding thing to me, and this is what I love about the mystics. I mean, the mystics, when I found the mystics sort of six years ago, it was like coming home. I, I sort of felt like <laughs> I, I, somebody knows me, you know? And the astounding <laughs> thing is, and this is, this is something I feel like it is so unplunged I, I don't know why it's so little, so little plunged by so many people that I've listened to over the years that we have kind of been caught up in and engulfed by this trinity, this sort of community of adoration and miraculous loving, giving joy. And so we, we spend so much time in our lives searching for love. Mm. We are so desperate for it and we cry out for it and we reach for it. Um, and one of the biggest revelations in my life was realizing that this love that I was seeking is fully inflamed and existing within me, not static like some sort of, you know, force, like the force or whatever, similar in Star Wars. Um, but as a living, breathing, moving momentum of love and life and existence. And so 
after spending so much time crying out, God, where are you? Show me your love. I just one morning felt him say to me, Strawn, you refuse to receive it. You refuse to inhabit it. And so contemplative practice and, and the majority of my prayer practice is about simply sitting and abiding in that reality, accepting it and being caught up into this magnificent community that is full of everything that I long for in my life. Um, and at the heart of it, contemplative practice is, a, is about being attentive to that. It's not, you know, silence and stillness and solitude. These are, these are doorways, entry points into accessing this truly remarkable truth that we just so casually blurt out to each other sometimes on a Sunday morning or whatever. <laughs> and so out of this community comes vibrancy and life, comes peace and acceptance, comes creativity. And that's that for me is that is that sense of the, the, the more that we sit in Trinity, the more that we sit in this capital L love, capital R reality, um, these other things that we do, they shrink, littleness becomes big, and creativity, creative thinking, creative love and life, it just springs out, it, it, it embeds itself in our being. So for me, that looks like, yeah, I, I spend a lot of, I, I'm a bit of a hermit. <laughs> I mean, I literally <laughs> live in a cabin 40 hours a week on my own in silence and solitude, sort of writing and in prayer um, and in considering things. I don't I don't go out much, partly because I'm not well, but partly because I've sort of become addicted to this, this life of retreating into God and giving out of a space of, of that presence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, one thing I want to ask you about, I've heard you say that the way creativity and prayer share a kind of mysterious marriage in the human soul, Mm. and also the way in which trials and sufferings, or as we talked about other earlier, unwanted life changes, these things can also bring about a prophetic creativity and a new way of seeing ourselves. Mm. Talk to me about how the marriage of creativity and prayer and the trials that we go through in life, how this can bring about prophetic creativity and a new way of seeing ourselves. One of the biggest revelations for me that I had some some time ago in the early years of music, um, because I think prophetic is a word that we often bandy around and we, we kind of don't really define. And maybe because it's difficult to define, it is that ethereal sort of space. But the way that I came to understand that word was that it, we're essentially the prophetic is a re-imaging of God to the world, but it's it's a re-imaging in time and space in history because God is a person and not a sort of static theology or whatever. Um, as we live, we apply that love, that profundity, that beauty and goodness and truth to history in, in its own language and space and time and color. And so if we think about the prophetic as simply re-gifting God to the world, uh, to a particular people in a particular place at a particular time, then essentially the prophetic and creativity unify. You get this oneness, right? So if we look to Genesis, God said, let there be, and that was both um, a statement of truth because it was coming from his heart and who he is, a statement of beauty, 
but it was also prophetic in that it created. So if we, if we look at the prophetic from that space, then sitting in prayer, sitting in that, you know, capital B beauty, uh, the source, the existence of creativity himself, if abiding in that space, it is impossible for us to be there in that abiding space with God and not to ooze and to create. Out of that space comes all kinds of solutions and ideas and thought processes and temperaments. But more than that, we become like the one that we are abiding in. So it's like a family, you know, you grow up in a family, your kids become like you, they're just in your space. So the greatest prophetic creative act is actually that we are creatively becoming like God, which means that not just everything we do might be special or interesting or nice, but it is sort of imbued with the scent of kindness and gentleness and patience So the most simple act that we can do, even if it's not quote unquote very creative to the world, is just mind-blowingly sideways to the way the world is responding because it's coming from this fruitfulness of God's nature. So the way that prayer and creativity is sort of this mystical union to me, and it is mystical, I can't really explain it much more than I have, it's because to sit in God is to sit in the very source of creativity himself. We then become like him and then transform the world around us. And in my experience, and this is just mine, few things have taught me how to do that to a greater degree than suffering. Suffering um, is a driving force. It sort of takes what might take 10 years of thought and contemplation and research. It squashes it into a very intense and painful season where we're opened up vulnerably and in an anguish and pain and it takes it deep down where we would otherwise never allow God or another person to go and it it unleashes this abidingness, this acknowledgement and presentness. And so these three things, prayer, suffering and creativity for me, are all sort of responses to God that sort of transform us and have this prophetic effect in our lives. They can't help but change us and then we can't help but change the world. For someone just kind of wading into these waters, what are some ways that you would recommend for an emerging artist or for someone just kind of getting into the contemplative life, what are some practices or some some encouragement you would offer in that direction? I'd probably say maybe maybe two things. One, I've come to feel like a lot of contemplative practices about what we're doing when we're quote unquote not praying. Uh, and what I mean by that is that if our if our life is full of noise, if we always have the radio on in the car or if we're listening to a podcast and we're going for a walk, if we are constantly on our phone before we go to bed, um, if we're reading books all the time to try and feed our minds, then when we come to sit and to awaken to the living Trinity within us, we, it's just going to be like hitting a brick wall at 100 miles per hour. 
So the best thing we can do is fill our life with as much boredom, as much space, as much <laughs> downtime as we possibly can. This is the part that people hate, you know, to simplify it. I call it thinning, you know, just thinning out our lives. We, we have so much. We are so used to excess in this world. We, we have forgotten that it wasn't that long ago when you had to walk to go somewhere, when you had to wash the dishes with your bare hands and your clothes, you know, we had a lot of this stuff naturally built into our human existence. We have disconnected ourselves from our bodies in our inner life. So I think the biggest thing we can do um, in entering prayer, entering a contemplative life is to begin just slowly to shave off noise, whatever that is for us. Mm. And then the second thing that I would say is to just say yes, to just say yes to God. I truly believe that, you know, if we could imagine living our whole lives underneath a waterfall, that waterfall is divine love and it is unstoppable. It will pour over you for the rest of your days, whether you want to or not, it is, it is just who God is. It is impossible for him to not pour out endlessly in love. And so much of us are just walking around with umbrellas up saying, where is it? Where is love? Where is meaning? Where is truth and goodness and beauty? And I've come to really believe the contemplative life is simply about learning to pull that guard down, to pull that lack of acceptance down and to simply say, yes, every moment, every day in our hearts, in our minds, with our bodies, yes, I do receive, I do accept this overwhelming, unending flood of holy divine love into my mind, into my body, and I'm not going to say no any longer. And I think at the heart of contemplative tradition, it's just a whole bunch of practices to do that. But I didn't come into it through extended periods of silence. I didn't even know what a contemplative was until five, four or five years later when someone said, oh, you're a contemplative now. Um, <laughs> for me, it was just I figured out the art of saying yes with every moment of my day. Um, and I, I think, honestly, it's just as simple as that. John, thank you for taking the time to talk with me today on the Makers and Mystics podcast. I'm a fan of your work. I'm so glad you exist. <laughs> and, and I've got so much out of this podcast. It's just been such a blessing to me, man, for so many years. So it's been really great to connect and a, a real honor to participate in the many voices that have shared in this space, kind of pulling us into what God is doing in our time. So thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Leave us a review and follow along on Instagram at Makers and Mystics. If you'd like to go deeper in these conversations and help sustain our work of advocating for art and faith, please consider joining our creative collective at patreon.com slash makersandmystics. See the show notes of this episode for links to Strawn's work. And until next week, keep creating. The world needs your art.